If you would, take your Bible, or a few Bible if you need, and turn with me once again to the epistle of 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. We are in this expositional series where we're walking verse by verse through 1 John, trying to glean from it as much spiritual nutrition as we possibly can. And as we've seen thus far, this little book is packed full to the brim with truth that you and I desperately need to learn, we need to understand it, we need to comprehend it, and we need to apply it in our daily lives. I want to go ahead and read the passage that we'll be considering before I make any more remarks. So look with me at 1 John chapter 2, and I'll read to your hearing verses 7 through 11 this morning as we consider the love test. Hear now the word of the true and living God. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which ye had heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because darkness is past and the true light now shineth. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. And he that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not where he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for your precious holy word. God, we pray that you would pour out your blessing, not just upon the reading of it, not just upon the hearing of it, but upon its proclamation. God, as we know, those of us who are children of, you, of the Most High God, we know that these words are precious. They're spiritual words, which means that we cannot understand them with our finite human minds. So we pray through the power of the Holy Spirit, you would enable us to understand and glean from this what you would have us to draw us all to a closer walk with Jesus, to make us better tools for use in the kingdom. For all these things we ask in Jesus' mighty name, amen. So far, we have seen the Apostle John through these first two chapters. He's inserted a series of spiritual tests. And you may recall we said the reason that he did this was for two reasons. First was that he wanted to assure the true Christian that they had in fact truly been saved by the cleansing blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He had truly washed away their sin and cast it as far as east is from west, never to remember it again. Assurance is one of the key themes of this epistle. The key verse to this epistle is 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. I've said it many times. These things I write unto you that you believe in the only begotten Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Assurance of salvation is a precious truth that keeps you and it guards you. It keeps you calm. It gives you the peace that passes all, understand, all understanding no matter what the situation is. There is no greater gift than to have your sins forgiven and to have been made right with God through Christ. But just second to that is to know that you know that you know that your sins have been forgiven. 
and you have been made right with God through Christ. The second reason that John wrote this epistle was to reveal to the goats that they were goats and not sheep. John wanted to refute false teachers in that area to keep them from poisoning the true believers and hopefully in the process bring the false teachers to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the first test that we were introduced was the Christ test. And I'm going to keep bringing this up even when we're on the last sermon of chapter 5 because it is so prevalent in this hour. It is so vital because if you fail this test, you are most certainly going to fail the rest of the spiritual tests. And it is so prevalent in the hour that we find ourselves in because out there in the world, there are so many thoughts and ideas about Jesus Christ and not all of them are right. There are many unbiblical beliefs about him and you know who holds to them? A lot of people who consider themselves Christian. I want to tell you this morning, it grieves my heart and my very soul how supposed Christian people have to depreciate Jesus. They have to cut him down to a size they are comfortable with. They have to bring him down to a worldly level because a Jesus that is on our level does not command anything from us. Rather, he's here to serve us. He's here to wait on us hand and foot. Jesus becomes your homeboy and your buddy rather than your Savior and Lord. It's the idea and the thought processes that make those coffee mugs and sweatshirts and things that you hang on the wall that say stuff like, all I need is a little bit of coffee and a whole lot of Jesus. Last week, while we were at home recovering, I made a mistake. I just stuck to the pastors that I know that preach the true word, but instead I branched out and thought I'd check out what the what the crowd bringers are preaching, right? Thought maybe, hey, you know, with what ha- had happened the previous Friday, it'd be a good time for them to give glory to God for that, even if they don't want to preach on it, but just say, hey, God did a magnificent thing this past Friday in overturning and row. Glory to God. Let me tell you something. Silence is deafening on that front. Nationally and locally. There are so many people who make millions of dollars publishing books, writing books, giving, uh, filling uh, coliseums with conferences and stuff, and they have yet to say one thing about that. Why? Because the kingdom of God encroaches upon the kingdom that they're building. It hurts their pocketbook. Anything confrontational might take away from the crowd. And that is the vast majority of the mindset of American Christianity. I watched one message last week where a pastor posted the question, hey, how many of you are like me this morning and you just need a little Jesus this morning? You just need a little Jesus. That's how the vast majority of American Christians view Christ. 
Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says he is the one who holds all things together by the word of his power. Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 and following say who is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation for in him all things were created both in the heaven and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities all things have been created through him and for him and he is before all things and in him all things hold together all things consist. But to most that profess Christianity in America, it seems that Jesus is just a supplement that you take in the morning to start your day off right. And what grieves me is that that is what the majority of churches are teaching. The vast majority of the people who call themselves Christian have no earthly idea who Jesus Christ is. And I have had many a conversation since Friday to uh, uh, a week ago in the overturning of Roe. And I'm going to tell you, people will look you right in the eye and swear up and down they're a Christian. But yet want to tell you that God Almighty's okay with a child being murdered. They have no idea with who Jesus Christ is. They have no idea of anything Jesus Christ has said, and they don't care to know. But you can bet your sweet biffy on this. They'll tell you all day long they're a Christian. Folks, when Jesus Christ returns, he's not coming back with his hair in a man bun to hang out as a barista in a coffee shop. He is coming back to judge the world in righteousness. And that's the problem with the church in America. We don't know who we are. And we surely don't know who God is. To some, Jesus and Christianity is just an emotional experience. It's invoked by a song, and that's it. He's the divine butler that's supposed to be there so you make sure that you never, ever, ever have a bad day. And if you listen to the way some of these real popular preachers preach that draw all the crowds, you would think that God created us so that he could worship us. This is why the church in America loses young people when they go off to college. They've never been grounded in the truths of Scripture. They were never introduced to the true biblical Jesus, and they were never prepared to have their faith challenged. We're getting ready to celebrate our nation's uh, anniversary. Why aren't we a godly Christian nation any longer? Because the pulpit got more concerned with being popular and filling a building by any means necessary than by being, than being true to the Word of God. Now let me say, I say all that, but remember this, mankind is God's Mona Lisa. Mankind is the apple of His eye. Mankind is the most precious of all of His creation. God the Father did not send God the Son to live perfectly, suffer, and die for the angels. He did not send Christ to suffer and die for your dog Spot or for your cat Fluffy. Even though Fluffy probably really needs to be redeemed. 
but it was out of love for mankind that God did that. And we need to understand something. He created us, saved us, so that we would glorify Him and that we would worship Him. That's why it's so important to know the true Jesus of Scripture. If you do, and if you do not profess what the Bible says about Jesus, then you're not professing the true Jesus Christ. I mean it. Over the last two weeks, my, I mean, I've had to pick my jaw up off the floor several times. It's like, how? Because another huge line in the sand has been drawn. And in order to truly possess Christ and not just profess Christ, you must be in agreement with His Word. You must be in agreement with what He says, especially what He says about sin. But you hear people say, yeah, but I think this and I feel that. Let me say this. It does not matter what you and I think or feel. It does not matter how you or I think or feel. What matters is what has God said about the matter. And then you and I are to conform and align our thoughts and our beliefs with His. The Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 19, when He was challenged by the Pharisees on the issue of divorce, He didn't appeal to logic. He didn't appeal to man's law. He appealed to Scripture. He said, have you not read? which showed his high view of Scripture, Scripture above everything else. Have you not read that he created them from the beginning, created them male and female, and that a man is to leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two of them should become one flesh? And therefore what God has brought together, let no man put asunder, right? I say all that to say that a person cannot have true saving faith in Jesus Christ and be okay or celebrate the flagship sins that the world does. And even with the issue of abortion, you can throw any excuse out there you want. Well, it'd be better off just to go ahead and kill it because they'll grow up poor. They'll live in a, and have a poor quality of life. Or there's already an abundance of kids in the foster care system. Nothing justifies murder. Nothing justifies murder. You cannot be in a saving relationship with Jesus Christ and not be in agreement with what he says about sin. And then that goes into the light test. You cannot walk in darkness. And that word walk speaks to your regular routine practice of life. The Christian's sin, yes, I wish we didn't. I wish that we didn't. I wish that once we were, once we, once we were saved, we never sinned again. But that's not how it works. We're still in these time-bound, sin-cursed bodies living in this sin-cursed world. And we're subject to temptation. We're to strive and not sin, but we're still going to. But, the, but John says in that light test that you can't, your, your regular routine practice of your life should not be walking in darkness. And if it is, you're a liar and the truth is not in you. And then it comes to the confession test. True believers still sin and they keep confessing. That confession becomes a way of life. And then at the beginning of chapter 2, we're told that we have an advocate when we do sin, when we've done all that we can to try not to sin. When we do, we've got an advocate with the, with the Father who pleads his blood and the devil cannot bring an argument that's going to overturn that blood. Then we came to 
verses 3 through 6, the last time we were together and looked at the obedience test. Now, the Holy Spirit wanted me to hunker down on the uh, eternal. Uh, uh, and talk about the eternal security of the believer for m- most of that. I didn't plan to devote that much time to it. But that's just how the Lord worked it out. Um, sometimes we don't obey the Lord like we should. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we don't obey the Lord as we should, right? Even the, the greatest of the apostles, the apostle Paul, he said, the things that I know that I should do, I don't. And the things that I shouldn't do, man, those are the things that I do. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Oh, wretched man that I am, right? And even King David. King David, who was a man after God's own heart when he fell. And you read that psalm, and it escapes me which one it is, where he says, Lord, create within me a clean heart and renew within me a right spirit. We do stumble. We do fall. But the regular routine practice of the child of God is one who walks in a manner that says, you know what, I want to please my heavenly daddy. I want to please my heavenly father. There are some folks that need to have a good old-fashioned Holy Ghost awakening. They need to be awakened to the fact that the way they think, the way they talk, their choice of lifestyle does not line up with Scripture. It does not line up with what what Scripture says about a true born-again child of God. And to be honest, rather, they line up perfectly with the scriptural definition of someone who is a child of hell. And John doesn't pull any punches. He says the one who says that he knows God but does not walk in obedience is a liar and the truth is not in them. You cannot say that you love God. You cannot say that you are a Christian and walk in darkness and constantly, consistently live a life that's in disobedience to the Lord. And then that brings us today to the love test. To the love test. All of that and now to love. Christians are to be defined by our love. We're to be defined by the way that we love, not the way the world defines it. And the world wants to try to tell us Christians how we are to love, as if they're an authority on the matter. Worldly love is a false love. It's a selfish love. Christian love is a selfless love. You study the scripture. I've talked about this before. There are four types of love in the Bible. Eros, that's romantic love. Storge, that's family love. Philia, that's brotherly love. That's where we get the name Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Agape, which is self-sacrificing. The agape love is what is communicated to be God's love. It's a love that cannot stay bottled up in thoughts and in feelings and emotions. It has to act. It has to prove its love. God so loved the world. The love that God had for his creation was so great that he could not just sit by and watch it completely descend into hell. Therefore, the love, that love compelled God to act. God did not act. He did not move because the recipients of his love earned it or because they deserved it. They deserved the contrary. But no, God acted because God is love. And that love compelled God to give the very best of Himself. He gave His only begotten Son to be born of a virgin, live sinlessly, die undeservingly in the place of the ones who did deserve to die so that whoever believes in Jesus shall not perish 
meaning shall not taste the judgment of God, but shall have everlasting life. That's agape love. That's the God kind of love. That is the love that Jesus Christ expects to be found in his church. The people of God are to be known by their love. A love that gives and expects nothing in return. Several weeks ago, when I preached the funeral of my friend Jerry Robertson, I talked about agape love because that man embodied it. He should have been a millionaire several times over, but he gave and he gave and he gave. If you came into that furniture store, he is, and you had a hard luck story, you were going to leave from there and you were probably only going to pay enough to cover the gas to have it delivered to you. He loved, he loved, he loved to hear that somebody had a need because he wanted to be the one to meet the need. And he didn't go around bragging about it. You know, there are some people that want you to know that they help people. There are some people that want you to know what all they've done for somebody. They want to keep a record. They want to heap their praise. And that's their reward. That's their reward. When someone finds out about it, that's great job. That, they got their reward. Don't break your arm patting yourself on the back. But God wants us to have this agape love. The love that when we know that a need arises, it gets attacked. It doesn't just get met, it gets attacked. The wagons get circled and attacked and, and the need gets attacked and attacked and attacked. Those that exhibit this agape love, they don't do it to heap praise upon themselves. They want to be the conduit that God uses to meet that need and bring glory to Him. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, as we'll look in a few weeks, tells us we love because He first loved us. I've said this many times. A person does not truly know how to properly love until they know the love of Jesus Christ. Now let's look at our, let's look at our text. Let's look at verses 7 through 11. They move pretty quick. Verse 7, we see the classic commandment. Look what it says. It says, Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment, which ye had heard, which ye had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. The command to love isn't something that just came about in the New Testament. The Old Testament gets a bad rap for being hard and legalistic and void of grace and love, but it's a theme. It's, a, it's the will of God that you see all through the Scripture. Even in a book like Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18 says, you shall not take vengeance. You shall not keep your anger against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. The apostle Paul, when he was instructing the church at Rome in his epistle to the Romans, quoted Leviticus 19, verse 18 in Romans 13. Listen to what he says. He says, oh, no man, nothing except to love him. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any commandment, it is summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does not work evil against a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. God has always commanded his people to love. 
Love God and love his kids. Love is the fulfillment of the law. If I say that I love you and I, if I say that I love God and I love you, I'm not going to lie to you. If I say that I love God and that I love you, I'm not going to steal from you. I'm not going to covet what you have. I'm certainly not going to murder you. That's the love of God. Love is the fulfillment of the law. And there's an inseparable link between obedience to God, loving God, and also loving one's neighbor. That's why Paul writes, love is the fulfillment of the law. One of the charges that God brought against Sodom and uh, against, against the wicked city of Sodom, this speaks to love being a, a theme throughout uh, all, all of uh, Scripture. One of the charges that God brought against the people of the ancient city of Sodom <clears throat> was that its wealthy citizens had the capability to help the poor, but they didn't. They had a love of money, but they lacked a love of neighbor. God hates the way that his creation treats one another. God wants his creation to love one another, and, and this love is to be embodied by his church. Point number two, the contemporary commandment. So we see that it was a commandment of old. Look what it says in verse eight. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because darkness is past and the true light now shineth. Now John is kind of a, kind of a play on words here. He's saying, I'm, I'm not giving you a new commandment, but in a way I am giving you a new commandment. And the commandment's newness was not found in words, but it was found in the, in the depiction of it. It was found in the manifestation of it, which is where it says, which is true in him. Jesus was the embodiment, the fulfillment, the manifestation of this love. And even though the duty to love has always been the will of God, never before had perfect love been so plainly manifested until Jesus got on the scene. I want to read to you Matthew chapter 4, verses... Uh, 23 and 24. It says, And Jesus went, went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and listen to this, and healing all manner of sickness, all manner of disease among the people. Did he show partiality? No. No. He healed them all. He showed kindness and mercy and love to all. And his fame throughout all Syria, and his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with diverse diseases and torments and those which were possessed with devils and those which were lunatic and those that had palsy and he healed them. You see the love of Christ embodies, it manifests the love of God physically. And you think about the, 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 the love that Jesus showed throughout his entire earthly ministry. You think about that paralyzed man that got let down from the roof, Right? Instead of just putting his hand upon him and healing him, the first thing that he does is he forgives his sin. Love. And you think about the Samaritan woman at the well. You know, and Anne depicted this beautifully during VBS. I mean, the, the, the kindness and the love. I mean, Samaritans, to, to, the, to the Jewish people, Samaritans were half-breeds. Okay, They weren't worth looking upon, much less speaking to. They were second-rate, second-class citizens. And now here is a woman. And we know that women were you know, not on the same uh, uh, scale as a man in those times either. So here is a Samaritan woman 
And yet Jesus speaks to her. Jesus carries on a conversation with her. Jesus shows mercy and kindness to her. Jesus reveals sin to her, but does not condemn her. But he also doesn't condone it either. True love doesn't condone. Sometimes true love has to speak a word of truth in love. Sometimes the most loving thing you can do is to tell somebody the truth. And then to the and then you think about the woman who's caught in adultery. We talk about her a lot. You know, he had the right, he had the authority to put her to death right there on the spot, more so than those men that brought her to him. But he didn't. He showed her mercy. He showed her love and compassion. And he tells her, go and sin no more. John chapter 13, verse 1, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He is our great example as to how to love. Back, back in um, uh, the, the, the section previous to this, in First uh, John chapter 2, verse 6, it says, He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. We are to pattern our life after Jesus Christ. We look up to many people. I'm sure many of you looked up to your father. I'm sure many of you men looked up to your father. I'm sure many of you ladies looked up to your mother. But our greatest example, the one that we should aspire to be the most, the one who should be our greatest hero of all is Jesus Christ. And it should be how he, the the one that we try to imitate and the one that we uh, pattern our life after. Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse 13, greater, no love, greater love has no one than this, than one that lays his life down for his friends. So the newness is not in the command to love, but in the perfect manifestation of love in Jesus Christ. And this is one of the many ways that the Son of God incarnate revealed the nature of God in a way that was never seen before. And the commandment to, to love is also new, not just because of its manifestation in Jesus, but because it's manifested in the life of every believer. It is manifested in the life of the believer. Love is manifested in the life of every child of God, or at least it's supposed to be. It is a glorious demonstration of what it means to be that new creation in Christ. If anything defines this love from a human side, it's humility. You think about it when you realized, when you realized how you had broken God's law, how you had sinned against him, and how he had revealed to you what he did through Christ on the cross, the first thing that was evoked inside of you was humility. Knowing, man, this great work has been shown to me. This great love has been shown to me, and I don't deserve it. Listen to this, the, the, the words of the, the half-brother of the Lord Jesus, James. James chapter 4, beginning in verse 6, it says, But he giveth more grace. Wherefore, he said, God resists the proud and give grace to the humble. 
Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh unto you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn. Weep, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. You humble the, the, the first thing, the first, the, the, the first sign that that love has, has happened in a, per, in a person's heart is the humility that's shown. And then that humility is shown to the point of, all, of almost self-hate. Luke chapter 14, verse 26, the Lord Jesus says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, his own mother, wife and children and brothers and sisters, yea, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Does that mean that... that when you become a Christian, you're supposed to hate your parents, hate your siblings, and hate your, hate your whole family. No. It means that your love for Jesus is to far out exceed the love that you have for all those other people. The love that you have for those other people is to pale in comparison to the love that you have for Christ. And when you have, I say it again, I go back to it again. When you have that love for Christ that is ultimately far beyond more than your family, you're going to love them better. You're going to love them the way that God wants you to love them. And then that's going to lead to, that's going to lead to the life of self-denial where you take up your cross and you follow Jesus and you're like that penitent tax collector, the publican in Luke chapter 18 who says, oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Look what it says in verse 8. It says, the darkness is passing away and the true light is also is already shining. Obviously, the true light is Jesus. He's come, he's established the kingdom. He's inaugurated in which he is already shining. And the church goes forth with her love, proclaiming the truth, proclaiming the gospel, and attacking the gates of hell and the kingdom of darkness, rescuing the perishing. Point number three. Now the conduct of the commandment, verses 9 through 11. The final point, the 9 through 11, the conduct of, of the commandment, or think of, think of it as love as a way of life. Look what, it, look, what, look what it says. It says, He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother and abideth in the light and there is, uh, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness and walketh in darkness and knoweth not where, whither he goeth because the darkness hath blinded his eyes. Here at the end of this section is where John applies the test of supernatural love. He applies the test to those that claim to be a Christian and you cannot be a true Christian if you don't love. I say it again, if you do not love, you are not a true child of God. Jesus says it like this in Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 33. And one of the scribes came and having heard the, them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered them, uh, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? Asked him, what's the, what's the greatest of all the commandments? And Jesus says, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. 
And the scribe said unto him, Well, Master, thou hast said the truth, for there is one God, there is none other but he, and, the, and to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, and with all the soul, and with all the strength, and, with all, and, and, his, and to love his neighbors himself is more than all the burnt offerings and the sacrifices. That's what God commands of us. Love God, love his kids, love your neighbor. Look at verse 9. I go back, look what it says. It says, he that saith he's in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. I go back to the series I preached just before 1 John. A person cannot truly love Christ and not want to be around the church. It just does not go together. Regardless of past experiences and church hurt and supposed hypocrisies of other, other believers, Jesus died to save the church. And if you truly love him, then you're going to love his kids. Verse 10, the one who, who loves his brother abides in the light. This is another one of those nuggets of assurance of salvation. For those who, who, who may struggle with whether or not you have been saved, and, and that, that is one of those fiery darts of the devil that he fires at you off and the places that doubt there. Let me ask you this, do you love the church? Do you have a love within your heart for the church? That is one of the greatest proofs that someone belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ, a proof that they have been saved, is that they have a love for His church. Yes, they show mercy and kindness to their neighbor as commanded by the Lord, but they have that familial love, that brotherly love for their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And when they hear a need arises in their local church, they're just burdened to see that need met. In fact, they want to be the instrument that God uses to take care of that need. Let me ask you again, do you love the church? And it says there is, there is no cause of stumbling in him. Stumbling refers to sinning. John uses the term to explain that the person who truly loves others as a reflection of his own love for Christ will not cause them to sin. There are so many people that, are, that claim to be a Christian, yet they exhibit no love. They walk around with that long mule face. There's no joy. They have no shred of love within their heart to extend towards somebody. And the outside lost world looks at that and says, I want nothing to do with Jesus and the church stuff. I mean, I can be treated like dirt by other people out here in the world. <laughs> what, what do I want to go to and, 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 and uh, be around those people for that? A lack of love causes people to sin and it causes people to not want to have any part in the Lord Jesus. Then in verse 11, John goes back to reiterate that if anyone hates his brother, they're in darkness. They're in darkness and they walk in darkness. Again, that means the normal course of their life is filled with wickedness and evil. It is filled with things that do not define the child of God and they do not know where they're going because the darkness has blinded their eyes. Boy, we see that in society. A society that calls evil good and good evil. A society that loves everything that God calls sin, hates God, hates His Word, hates His church, hates anything that God calls righteous. They are blind and they cannot make sense. They do not even realize where they're going. They are blind and loveless and are clearly outside the kingdom of God. 
But yet the people of God are to be defined by their love. Our Lord Jesus tells us, John chapter 13, beginning in 30, verse 34, and I'm going to leave you with this. I'm going to leave you with the words of Jesus. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. What a great statement. That's the heart and soul of the Christian testimony. That's the foundation on which the gospel becomes believable. Can a believable gospel be seen in your life? Ask yourself that. Can a believable gospel be seen in your life? Can they can can the world look at you and see the results of the gospel and a heart of love? Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you again for your word and how I have unworthily tried to unfold it. God, we pray that that would be found of us, that within our lives would be seen a believable gospel, a heart of people that love. Love's not always easy, and I failed that I brought that, I didn't bring that out. Sometimes it is not the easiest thing to love. Sometimes some people are not always the easiest to love. And if we get honest with ourselves, we're not always the easiest to love. But thank God, 2,000 years ago, on a despicable, despised Roman cross, you loved us anyway. You proved it in spite of who we are, in spite of what we've done. You loved us anyway. And now, Lord, Help us let that be the fuel that projects us, that drives us, that we go forth to be a people that love. Because ultimately, we want them to know your love as well. Thank you, Lord, for your blessings, for your mercy, and for your love. In Jesus' name, amen.